You're listening to Wealth Tech on Deck, a podcast about the future of wealth management technology, brought to you by Life Yield. Here's your host, Jack Sherry. Welcome all. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of Wealth Tech on Deck. Cerulean Associates has been a leader in providing market intelligence and strategic business recommendations for decades. They look to arm their financial services clients with data, research, and advice they need to grow. Recently, Cerulean conducted research on what managed account sponsors are doing around household level management, sometimes called UMH or Unified Managed Household. Today, we will talk with Matt Belknap. Matt is the Associate Research Director at Cerulean and conducted the research. So, Matt, welcome to Wealth Tech on Deck. Yeah, Jack, thanks for having me and thanks for the, uh, the kind introduction. Sure. So, Matt, I think uh, we would all agree that the Unified Managed Household, or UMH, has been that elusive holy grail for much of uh, my career. And uh, you're a little bit shorter than I along those lines, but certainly it's always been at the heart of things. What did your research show as firms look to connect all the dots of managing multiple accounts and products at the household level? Yeah, I think, Jack, so it is the holy grail, as you said. This is something that managed account sponsors are thinking about. They've been thinking about for a long time. No one is really there yet. Everyone's taking steps to move towards it. But stepping back a little bit, there's other consolidation that these sponsors are really trying to do as well before they can even think about getting to a household level. I mean, the UMA has seen pretty pretty standard adoption across managed account sponsors, but it's not as if every asset is, is contained within a UMA with those overlay services. So, you know, there's that's still in progress at a lot of sponsors trying to convince advisors to move, move assets into their UMA. A unified advisory platform as well to one consolidated platform where the advisors can give advice from. Think something like a, a Morgan Stanley Wealth Desk or a Merrill One. Mm -hmm. That's another level of consolidation that sponsor firms are working on and have been working on for a long time. And you know, when we ask them the question every year, you know, how long do you think this is going to take? And and year after year, the most common answer is it's going to take more than two years. So it's it's still that's a point of consolidation that they're still working towards as well. And then and those are frankly, a little easier to achieve than, you know, true householding, as you know, which, sure, you know, sure. that, that holy grail is, takes a lot of work and a lot of coordination to coordinate across the household. So they're working towards the household, but there's also these intermediate steps that the sponsor firms are trying to take as well to try and get there. But what our research did show is this is on the list of their priorities. You know, we asked them, you know, how much of this is a priority for you? Around a quarter of managed account sponsors said this is a serious priority for us. And this is research that we conducted in the middle of 2022. We're in the process of, of kind of refreshing some of these questions right now. So 20, around a quarter said this is a substantial priority for us. And a little over half said this is a moderate priority for us. So these firms are you know taking budget, they're allocating money, they're trying to find ways to make this work. And you know, while, while no one's really unlocked it yet, it's top of mind for a lot of sponsor firms. Sure. Matt, why don't you uh, go a little deeper? That's really interesting. There's a bunch there that I'd like to ask some more about. But before we do that, let's talk about the research itself. What did you learn? What was on the minds of these advisory leaders? How did you go about the research? Talk a little bit more about that detail. And then we'll talk about what they said and what their view is going forward. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So at Cerule Jack, we really have kind of a two-part research philosophy where we're going to mix in qualitative calls with senior executives at managed account sponsors. So we do around 20 to 25, sometimes up to 30 of those. We talk to between 20 and 25 managed account sponsor executives who are, you know, running platforms in charge of advisory services, you know, thinking about householding, asking them kind of what are you seeing? How are you going about creating a unified managed household approach on your platform. You know, where are you in this process? So that was one part. And then we ran a quantitative survey where we are surveying senior executives at sponsor firms. And, you know, we we survey around 40 sponsor firms. We believe that they control around 85 to 90% of managed account assets that we captured in that survey. So that mixture of qualitative and quantitative is a process that we use across the rule and we, we found to be very successful. When we talk to these sponsor firms, you know, it's it's really interesting to hear kind of one, some of the technology challenges that go into this, but also some of the challenges of the advisors themselves and their behavior, right? You know, when, mm-hmm. when you're managing holistically on a household level, and no one's going to know this better than, than you folks at Lifeyield, but it takes a reframing of the advisor-client relationship, right? It, became, mm-hmm. it becomes mm-hmm. a lot less about did my mid-cap value, you know, SMA outperformance benchmark and more, you know, are my assets really aligned to meet the goals of my portfolio that are set out in my investment policy statement and not even, you know, in, in one investment policy statement and like your, your household's investment policy statement. So, you know, that's something that advisors always say they do, right? I manage your assets in a holistic way. Right. It's not something that in practice, it's really hard to step back from performance. You know, performance is of course important, but, you know, it's an easier conversation to have with your clients, honestly, than, you know, goals-based planning and and holistic management takes time. And Mm -hmm. that was, to me, one of the most interesting takeaways from the research of, yes, there's technology challenges. And yes, you know, our entire, the the entire managed accounts sort of ecosystem has sprung up around account level management. So stepping up to household level management is a challenge for sure. But it's the complete reframing of the advisor-client relationship as well. And something that I think is going to be pretty important for these advisors as they look to to differentiate their practices going forward. So let's dig in there deeper still. So this is a classic onion where we keep taking off the layers. I think you've hit on something, something we certainly see at Lifefield because we work with a lot of firms on just these sets of issues. So ultimately, just for those that are not fully familiar with what we mean by unified managed household, what we're talking about is taking all accounts, products, and tools, frankly, for that matter, and coordinating them in a holistic, comprehensive sort of way. That's ultimately what a UMH, Unified Managed Household, is about, with the idea that as you coordinate all those elements, you improve outcome and you improve the view and the experience for both advisor and client. And that's hard given legacy systems, mergers over time. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm sure you found a lot of this sort of stuff. So you could maybe dig in a little bit. These, I'm, I'm sure this is the sort of things that you heard as part of the research is how do you connect those dots? How do you coordinate it given all the complexity that's inherently involved in doing what we're describing? Yeah. I mean, the easiest answer that we got, but also a complex answer at the same time is takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of money to make these coordinations happen, right? And, you know, in some cases, we've talked to sponsor firms to where if you want to, you know, even consolidate accounts to a UMA level, 
it sometimes requires giving them a new account number, which is completely repapering the account, completely you know going back and talking to your clients, which is not something that advisors want to do. So you know even that these things are that seem simple are are pretty pretty challenging. And when we talked to sponsor firms, you know they they came up with a couple of you know sort of key challenges there. One, it's, it's technology complications, right? Of, you know, getting the technology to work, getting the, the technology budget to make that work. It was around, you know, three quarters of managed account sponsors that said that that, that was their, their sort of key challenge to consolidating on a household level. Then it was, you know, legacy platform complications of getting those legacy platforms to talk to each other, you know, and, and to work together towards this consolidation. And, you know, Coupled with that, you know, kind of unwinding that old infrastructure that's based on an account level and rewiring it to be focused on a household level. And, you know, some of these challenges are things like, can you have a, a super concentrated position in one account that you normally wouldn't allow if there was just managing for, you know, an investment policy statement for one account, right? Can you have maybe one, you know, large cap account there? But if you have, you know, the other asset allocation in the different pieces of the account, if you're managing for the household, that makes sense. But if you're thinking about it on an account level, you know, that's going to set off compliance red flags and reviews and things. So, you know, being able to to do this really takes a, a complete reforming of, you know, your compliant, not only your advisor relationships, but your compliance infrastructure, your back office right. technology, your middle office technology. And there's certainly a lot that goes into that. And, you know, when we talk to sponsors, they're as we said, no one's super far along in this. Um, but what they are thinking about is, you know, something like an asset location, right? Asset location mm -hmm. is something that might be a little bit easier to achieve. It's something that advisors are kind of doing on their own in a more ad hoc manner. But sure, you know, sure. what what firms like yourselves and and others are are doing is offering these sponsors sort of the the ability to algorithmically do it and lead to better mm -hmm. outcomes and more efficient mm -hmm. outcomes and. That is something that we see. You take something that an advisor is doing ad hoc. It's, it's kind of the same thing with, with tax loss harvesting and, and direct indexing, right? You can do it a lot better and more efficiently if you apply algorithms and you take some of that out of the advisor's hand and let the computers do it for them. Yeah. Let me lay out some of the things that we see. I'm curious if this came back as a sort of a general observation. Lots of people thinking about it, talking about it, examining it, studying it, and so on. We have lots of those conversations for sure. Of course, we're doing working with people that are doing what we're describing. It's very much a a series of events. It's not a you don't boil the ocean one day and then, <laughs> you know and make that adjustment Absolutely. that quickly. It just doesn't happen quickly. It takes it takes place over time. And in our observation, it tends to follow a sequence. Often, it starts with asset location. You mentioned that in a moment. So I'm just going to lay out what we see in here. I'm curious if this came back. So you take it asset location, basically getting the right asset allocation located in the right account types. That's essentially what asset location is. Another place to start is rebalancing. In other words, rebalancing at the household level. Another place to start is typically with asset location in mind, a proposal system. We're doing that with a number of firms where they have a proposal on how to locate assets as a starting point. Mm -hmm. There's only one firm right now, but many others, actually there's a few firms now, but the whole idea of at Morgan Stanley, they're called intelligent withdrawals. In other words, how to 
manage multiple accounts in a tax-efficient way, mm-hmm. as well as a risk-smart way, both kind of two sides of the same coin as you manage risk and tax that you really need to be done in unison. So that's another one. And yet another one, which is eventually will become part of a UMH is a social security optimization. Just that's the kind of the easiest because you can kind of just start there and then add capability. So did any of that come out or are people still sort of feeling their way just trying to get at the sort of the the basics of account opening and compliance and, and that kind of stuff? Talk a little bit of what you heard as you talked to folks. I'd say in general, Jack, yeah, it is, you know, early conversations for most people. But, you know, you brought up Social Security. That was something that came up in a couple of conversations with these sponsor firms because it's something that a lot of their advisors aren't thinking about right now. And it's kind of an easy value add and an easy win to say, okay, you know, this is something, you know, as your clients enter the decumulation phase, it's incredibly important, you know. Do you delay? And we're not giving them advice around, you know, when should I start taking Social Security? Do you delay? How do I integrate this with my broader financial plan? So, yeah, that was absolutely something that came up with several sponsors. The asset allocation across the household was another point of entry that came up a few times of thinking about, you know, again, this is something that our advisors are doing in a bit of an, an ad hoc manner right now. Sure, yeah, maybe sure. we're going to stick them. Yeah, you know, I stick all your income producing securities in a qualified account, right? You know, and then we'll have things that aren't going to throw off income, you know, in your non qualified accounts. But being able to to take that and do it more efficiently and algorithmically is was was something that came up with with several sponsors as well. And then yeah, a proposal on a household, right? If you're going to say I'm going to holistically manage your assets which is what advisors are telling their clients, that being able to you know, have a proposal to, to say how you're going to do that is, is key. That came up a few times as well. I'd say those were sort of the three big you know, yeah, points of yeah. entry, along with you know, kind of intelligent asset, intelligent asset location, which we sort sure. of already talked about earlier. Is there a recognition that taxes are the biggest issue? Is, is there an understanding of that, or is that still emerging? I think that that has absolutely emerged as gotcha. you know, gotcha. a key a key focus for advisors. You know, it gets back to, you know, it's not something, you know, tax was kind of a third rail for advisors for a lot for sure. a long time. Sure. So, you know, stay away from that. Talk to your accountant. You know, I, I I can't give you tax advice. But one advisor that we talked to, I think put it really interestingly in that, you know, every time I tell you to buy or sell a security, I'm creating a taxable event, right? So you can almost say that I'm giving you tax advice when, when anytime I tell you to buy and sell something, you know, yeah, so yeah. you know, why not better manage it and better, sure. you know, create better outcomes for your clients. And I think especially for high net worth investors, you know, our research shows, you know, so their first priority is wealth preservation, right? They want to keep yeah, what they have. Yeah. The yeah, second yeah. priority year after year, and it's right behind wealth preservation is I want to minimize what I pay in taxes. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, for a long time, you know, advisors handled that by, you know, having relationships with the accountant. But as we've talked about, there's things that advisors can do to make that sure, better for sure. their clients. And it's not, there's work that, that's involved, but it's easily attainable. Yeah. And it's why firms are thinking about this, I think, you know, for those better tax outcomes. 
Yeah, just a, a note for those that are grappling with that, because we're working with some firms presently that are, and this is part of the course for every, with every firm. At some point, you have the conversation, is this tax advice and get compliance and legal, get involved and all the rest of it. Basically, the couple, a few of the largest financial institutions in the, in the world have gotten past that issue. And really what it comes down to, you're not giving tax advice. You're really just taking the known rules and then applying technology to them to make sure that you don't pay unnecessary tax. That's all it is. But- there's a lot more legal brief that goes in between what I just said and the reality, but the bottom line is that it all plays out. So so clearly the industry is grappling with this, struggling a fair amount, I think, across the board. That That's what we see. Sounds like it's what you saw as well. So what do you think it's going to take for that to move forward? Is it just going to be an incremental piece by piece, competitive pressure to get stuff? What's your view on how this will start to get to the other side of it where it's less of a like on take asset location, which I think tends to be the kind of the first place that start less of a thumbnail kind of view and more of implemented, algorithmically driven, optimized kind of approach? I think what's going to drive it is, you know, as you've talked about, Jack, and you're working with some of the largest wealth managers in the world on these initiatives, is them to, you know, start to bring it to market. And then it creates competitive pressure for the rest of the market to keep up and and drives them. But I I also think there can be some bottom-up pressure to this as well in that, you know, for the longest time, the way for an advisor to differentiate was, you know, I'm a fiduciary, right? Everyone's seen the ads on TV of, you know, I'm a, I'm a fiduciary. That's how I stand out. You know, I'm not collecting, you know, brokerage. You don't pay me per trade, right? No one pays for trades anymore. Everybody's sure. a fiduciary, right? You can go across channels and get really good fee-based advice. That's not a way to stand out anymore. So yeah. Yeah. I think the way to stand out for an advisor is there's a couple of ways, but you know, personalization and customization, I think, is is crucial. And to be able to personalize a financial plan for your household and to be able to, you know, personalize it to your specific tax situation, you know, to your specific you know, social security situation, to fully integrate that plan is a way for advisors to stand out. So I think that can also create some bottom-up pressure on this of, you know, I need the tools to create plans across the household, can you give them to me? And, you know, I think probably if I had to guess more, the pressure is going to be, you know, top down. This is something that sponsors are thinking about, you know, at the, at the home office level. But I do think that those, those advisors can create some pressure from the bottom up to get this done. You know, interesting. Uh, it's just a couple of anecdotes that you might find surprising. And offline, I'll, like, I have some thoughts about for your next research. Just people we know that are doing some really interesting and cool stuff are happy to connect you with them. But Yeah, that'd be great. One, a big name you, you know well, Franklin Templeton. They were the first to, they came to us. We had the full shebang of asset location, income generation, social security. We did this 15 years ago. And we went to Franklin Templeton and they said, that's too much. We can't do all that, <laughs> particularly back then. And they said, could you just give us the social security piece? It's probably more like 14 years ago. But in any event, we said, sure. So we did it. We built a tool. That tool right now is used by 100,000 advisors across the industry, not just at Franklin Templeton, but also places like Merrill and a bunch of insurance companies and New York Life and Northwestern Mutual and many more, Allianz. And that's sort of a starting point. I do find that to be the easiest because the Social Security tool is, or question is prominent in the client's mind. Interesting what Franklin Templeton, and we'll be doing a, a podcast on this coming up in a little bit. They started a program called Go, Goals Optimization Engine. Oh, yeah. And that's a UMH. It's going to be available through Advisor Engine, which is a property now of Franklin Templeton. It'll be out this summer. It's it's being built. It's actually built, but it's it'll it's going through tests and what have you. And it started with Social Security, and then 
goals optimization is asset location and also income generation and includes Social Security. So sort of interesting because we're having conversations with them just how to make this information available to the marketplace. So we're in that discussion now. It's sort of interesting how this evolution, I'd like to get your thoughts on this evolution because it seems that's how it's going to play out. The other one, we just had a conversation yesterday, a client, we haven't announced it yet. It's a Silicon Valley startup. For another podcast, it's a fascinating story. But if you want to check it out, it's called Playbook. What they did is it's all online. They've done their research online. They've done it through social media. They advertise it that way. And they've got 75,000 investors that are using the tool. And it's basically how to maximize your 401k match, things like that. It's all around tax because guess what? <laughs> Clients said they want to – taxes were most important to them. And their target audience, by the way, is is high-income earners that are 30 years old. So average client is 30 with a $150,000 year income. That's who they their target is. And those folks are confused. So one of the issues I think, and love your comments on this, especially in terms of the research, is there's a lot going on in this space. There does seem to be a clear recognition taxes matter. There is a way to get around any compliance concerns, legal concerns. But it's hard, especially with legacy systems, to pull all this together because you really have to have some pretty cool algorithms to make it all work. Is that the sort of stuff that you're hearing is just that level of confusion? And what do you think it will take to get people beyond the confusion and onto, onto building stuff to make sure that they're, they're doing a better job and providing more holistic advice? I absolutely echo your thoughts on the confusion, Jack. I mean, I think there's sort of questions for some of the firms that haven't begun anything yet of, you know, where do we start? How do we even begin to move into doing something like this? You know, you know, how do you eat an elephant, right? You know, one, one bite at a time, but, (laughs) (laughs) but where does that first bite go? And I think that's something that a lot of firms are grappling with in terms of, you know, how does this happen? I think listening to clients and hearing their demand, right. Of, you know, what I want to minimize taxes, you know, I want to better integrate, Social Security and or think about, you know, what do I want from my advisor relationship? Right. I think that a lot of this is evolving and I kind of consider myself a bit of an example here. You know, I sure I thought I'll always be my own financial advisor. Right. I don't need to pay anybody to do this. But in the last three years, I've gotten married and bought a house and I have a kid, which is so I, I, you know, I'm checking stuff off on the, on the game of life. Right. But it's a lot more complicated now. And I could really use somebody to say, you know, this is, you know, when I was just picking investments for my 401k and investing for fun on the side, it was great. Right. I can do it. But now, you know, how do I maximize, you know, 529 plan savings? You know, what, you know, what kind of, assets, you know, my wife's a teacher, she has a pension, you know, how do we think about that? And, you know, in terms of when I'm thinking about 401k savings. So I think, you know, these are the questions that firms should be asking themselves of, you know, one, you know, how do we better serve our high net worth investors, right? That's always who they're going to think about most, but also how do you attract the next generation of clients? You know, and I would consider myself in that, in that next generation of clients Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. how they would, how they would get me would be, you know, we have tools to create a plan for you to think about, you know, how you're going to meet, meet your objectives. And, you know, my objectives right now is get eight hours of sleep at night with the baby, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, financially, right, I'd like, you know, I want to think about college. I want to think about, you know, retirement. How do we create, you know, financial sure. security for, for yeah. ourselves and for her yeah. down the line, you know? So give me those tools and I'll sign up as your client. You know? Sure. 
Well, it's, it's fascinating. I think, I think you're a, a, a poster child for the challenge that's ahead. And that's exactly. I think my observation. Yeah. Firms are working on it. They're trying to figure it out. And it's much more than did my mid cap do better than, you know, than the benchmark. Yeah. That's so yesterday's news. I'm sure you found that. We <laughs> stated it earlier. So now it's a matter of how do I look at all of it? Uh, 401k, 529, all the things that you talked about. How does that come together? And, and how do I have a sort of a steady savings? And one of the big things, frankly, that we see with the asset location, that if you start saving on taxable accounts, and as well as your 401k, the earlier you start and the more you maximize asset location, you're going to just tax deferred compounding is all that's happening here. This is not, we used to call it when I was way back in the day, the magic of tax deferral. Well, it is magic. Your money just grows a lot faster if you're not paying yeah. taxes on it. It's just how it, how it works. So it's all to the good for the client and, and certainly for the advisor as they get their arms around at the challenge. As you, you've discovered, is really how do you, as a firm, how do you get that together? So, just one thing I want to add. I think you make a really good point around you know the power of tax deferred, and you know just one little story I'll add is you know we were talking to an advisor who was pretty far along in terms of you know tax man you know tax management for their clients, and he said I can charge more because taxes are measured in percent and fees are in basis points, and there's value to be had there for for advisors who can maximize this. Yeah. We've done some studies on on that. And, and frankly, as a senior executive at a major firm who will go unnamed, pointed out, because they have tools in place built into their infrastructure and their ecosystem around tax and risk, they do both. And they do it in a highly coordinated and evolved way. So the other big factor to consider, besides Social Security, that's off to the side for the moment, but that's another thing they do. But the other key is is cost. And his comment was, he said, we don't have to worry about so much about cost because in terms of what we charge our clients, because we provide so much benefit on the risk and task side that the cost becomes just not a big issue. And it's worth it that we've, so we're, we're demonstrating value and also using, frankly, our tools, you could quantify the benefit in dollars and cents. And when you look at it, I go, wow, why wouldn't I do that if I could? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, Matt, this has been great. Really enjoyed our conversation. And thanks for uh, your observations and sharing the research. This has been terrific. As we look to wrap up, what would you like to share with our audience in terms of three key takeaways from our conversation and your research? Please share. Yeah. So I, I think for me, the first key takeaway is, one, there's obviously a lot of work that needs to go in on the technology side. But don't neglect kind of the advisor and client education side if, for, for the firms that are thinking about kind of the, this householding approach, right? Because it, it is, if a client's used to going in and having conversations, you know, around what's my alpha, what's the beta, what's our tracking error to the benchmark, it's going to, you know, it takes education to get them to expect to talk about holistic financial advice, the second takeaway is, is sort of related to that, and this is a data point I wanted to bring up, and I'm glad I, I get to now, is advisors want this. You know, when, when we talk to advisors, they want to do this. They want to differentiate in this way. And I think the sponsor firms realize that. Less than 20% said advisor reluctance was a key barrier to implementing a, a household-level approach. So your advisor force, if you're a sponsor, they want this. You know, So give them the tools to do it. And then the third takeaway would be doesn't have to happen all at once. I mean, if we look, you know, UMA has been talked about for around 20 years now, and it's not still not fully realized, you know, for the, the full potential 
for managed account sponsors and for advisors. So, you know, take little steps, you know, find ways to integrate social security, find ways to do better asset location, you know, in a in an algorithmic way rather than an ad hoc way for, for your advisors, you know. Don't wait for the perfect time to, you know, completely flip to a household level approach because it's not going to be there, right? It's going to have to be, you know, piece by piece. Terrific. Well, this has been wonderful, Matt. Really appreciate the time, appreciate the perspective. Look forward to the ongoing research that you'll be doing on this. I have a couple of things we'll share offline that uh, might be, That'd be great. helpful. Yeah, that would be great. It's been a real pleasure. Enjoy the conversation. And to uh, those of you who are regular listeners to our podcast, we're going to talk about our favorite question, I should say, uh, which is, uh, Matt, what do you do outside of work that you're excited or passionate about and meet people might find interesting or surprising? So I was hoping we wouldn't have time to get to this question, Jack, because as I have a six-month-old baby, <laughs> I think I know the answer. <laughs> there's nothing interesting or exciting about me right now other than the baby. But no, she's she's been great. What I will say, I don't share this often with folks around Boston, is I'm a Pittsburgh sports fan. So I'm a Steelers oh, wow. and Penguins fan. So I don't I don't tell people around around here very often, but it's creating sure. real, real conflict with my wife in that I'm trying to raise our daughter as a Pittsburgh <laughs> sports fan in Boston, whereas she's very much Boston sports. So th- there's been some uh, there's been some, some conflict here. I've, I've spent probably more than I. I should, you know, talking about financial plans on Pittsburgh onesies, trying to get her to be a, a Steelers fan. So I'll, I'll report back how that goes. But that's been uh, that's, that, that, that's been my big parenting challenge so far. Yeah, that's great. Good for you. That's wonderful. So Matt, thanks so much. It's really been a pleasure to have this conversation. Appreciate your perspective and uh, research and insights. For our audience, if you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share what we're doing here at Wealth Tech on Deck. We're available wherever you get your podcast podcast. Matt, thanks again. I really appreciate the time and the perspective. Absolutely, Jack. Thanks for having me. It's always great to connect with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech on Deck, our ongoing conversation about improving financial outcomes for all. This podcast is brought to you by Life Yield and produced by Reverb. Subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with our host, Jack Sherry, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And for more information about our perspective on the future of financial advice, visit our website at lifeyield.com. Music